We get a little excited about Christmas <laughs> here at, at Concord United Methodist, and for a good reason. Cr Christmas is a, is a big deal. If you take the word Christmas and you break it down, it's Christ plus Mass. Now, Mass is the old Catholic word for worship where you have communion, and communion is the symbol and the guarantee and the promise that God is with us. So Christmas is when we celebrate the promise that God is with us, and it's worth getting quite excited about this unlikely king who came from heaven to earth at Christmas. And I imagine all of you have things that make it Christmas for you, right? That there are things that you say, you know, when that happens, maybe it's a feeling, maybe it's an experience. You're like, okay, right? It's Christmas now. Okay. For, for some of you, it might be a movie. Some of you, maybe it's a wonderful life. And uh, you know very well that every time a bell rings and right, an angel gets its wings or, you know, maybe you're not into George Bailey. Uh, maybe you think he's uh, overly emotional and self-centered. I don't know. His wife puts up with a lot. Uh, may, maybe you're more into Buddy the Elf, right? And you just have to see Elf before it feels like Christmas. And you know that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loudly, sing loudly for all to hear, correct? Or, you know, may, maybe none of that is kind of your style you're more old school. Uh, you, you relate to Clark Griswold, right? And you know that nobody's leaving. Nobody's going anywhere from this old-fashioned family Christmas. No, no, no. We're all, yes, sir, in this together, right? And you just need to see those movies to, to feel like it's Christmas. Maybe for you, it's going to see lights, Maybe it's going over uh, just down the way to Founders Park and walking through the beautiful lights in the park or over, I, I think it's the Eagle Landing subdivision that, that you drive through. And I've been there and I just have some basic logistical questions about how some of those people get electricity to some of the different places on their property. I, I think some electricians have been doing some extracurricular work in, in, in that neighborhood. For you, it, it might be music. Uh, perhaps it was when you heard O Holy Night sung, you were just like, I heard O Holy Night. Now it's Christmas. Now it's Christmas. That question of what makes it Christmas for you? Or maybe it's when we come and we take the bread and the wine and we celebrate communion. When we light the candle and we sing Silent Night and and something happens and you just feel like it's Christmas. Or, or when the family gathers around the table and when you see the children excited about the gifts under the tree, we all have these things that make it feel like Christmas for us. But I want you to know that what actually makes it Christmas is much more than a feeling. In fact, what actually makes it Christmas might be, not be what you think of when you think of what makes it Christmas. And so we're going to study the scriptures together today to ask the question, what really makes it Christmas? And I hope you'll be studying the scriptures every day. We, here at Concord United Methodist, we have a Bible reading plan. You can pick up a copy at the Information Center or go online to concordunited.org Bible. We'll give you a brief scripture passage every day along with a devotion to help you go deeper into the, the meaning of it because we want to study this week what really makes it Christmas. And we're going to pick up right now from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. 
In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger, in a manger, in a wooden trough made for animals to eat out of. That was where he came to be born, this unlikely king, the unlikely king who came to us, who picked an unlikely manger for his throne. You see, he, he could have picked any throne. He could have been born in a palace. He could have been born on top of a mountain. He could have been born at the seashore, but he picked the manger because the manger was the place that we could relate to best. Because we see in the Christmas story, there's room for everyone around the manger. And this is one of the things I love about the Christmas story is we can all relate to someone who was there at the manger. We can't all relate to a palace. We can't all relate to a mountain. We can't all relate to an ocean. But everyone was there around that manger. You see, uh, there were common working class people just trying to get by. The shepherds who were there, uh, that's who some of us are. There, there were people uh, with wealth and resources, power, prestige, and decision-making authority. The wise men, they were there. And the wise men were also outsiders. They were foreigners. They didn't fit in. They were on the outside looking in. Some of us know what it's like to feel like a foreigner, to feel like a stranger, to feel like you're on the outside looking in uh, at a culture, at a community, at a church, at a school, at a business, at a neighborhood. Some of us know what that feels like. And there's, there's room for us there at the manger. There was just an ordinary couple, Mary and Joseph, trying to do the best they could, trying to do right by their families and right by their religion as best they knew how. And that's who a lot of us are we're just people trying to do right as best we know how and as best we're able. And, and they're all there. And there's a, there was even a place at the manger for King Herod. For those of us with power and prestige who've abused it, there's a place at the manger for you too. He just rejected it. Uh, but there, there was a place and there was an offer and there was an invitation to these unlikely people. These people that you wouldn't think would be there, but they're there. And today I want you to know uh, that you may be one of the unlikely people that God wants to use to share, to share the story. And you might not think of yourself as the type of person that God would want to use to tell this story. This story that can't be contained because it's the greatest story that's ever been. But God might look at you like God looked at those shepherds or like God looked at those foreign wise men and say, no, you're the one. And you might be thinking, I know that's not me. 
The only reason I came this evening is to keep grandma happy. That's the deal. I come on Christmas Eve, grandma's happy. So I'm, that's, what, that's what I do. And if that's why you're here, that is a sacred and holy and wonderful motivation that you came to bless your grandmother. But it might not be the totality of God's plan for you. God might have much more in store for you than you would have guessed for yourself. For a lot of us, uh, we just love coming on Christmas Eve. We love hearing O Holy Night. And the re- one of the reasons you might not know that that song is such a great Christmas song is that it was given to us by very unlikely people. Unlikely people who in this music and in these lyrics unwrap this power of the greatest story, uh, the greatest truth that's ever been known. And then it, it couldn't be stopped once it began to get out. O Holy Night was written in 1843. And there was a small church in a small village in France. And the people there, they saved their money and they gave their money and they built a new pipe organ for their church. And they were going to show it off at Christmas. And the priest in that town said, you know, we got to make this really special. Let's have someone write a Christmas poem that will be new and we will share it for the first time on Christmas 1843. And they needed to find a good poet. And somebody knew there was a man in the town who had a gift for poetry. Now he didn't attend church much, but he had a gift for poetry. His name uh, was uh, Placide Capot de Rukmar. And Placide Capot de Rukbar uh, was the commissioner of wine in that town. Do you know what that means? It means he owned the liquor store, right? That was what he did, and he didn't come to church much. But they said, would you write us this poem about the Christmas story? And he said, I'll give it a try. And he came up with these words, and the people were amazed. And they asked for written copies of it, and they shared it with aunts and uncles and cousins and neighbors, and it spread. And every Christmas, they just loved getting together and hearing these words read until 1847 when they said, you know what, we should put this to music. Who knows a composer? And somebody said, hey, I know a guy, Adolf Charles Adams. He, he has composed some operas. We should approach him. And they approached Adolf Charles Adams and they said, would you please put music to this? And he read the poem and he said, you need to know something. I'm Jewish. But I love the words of this poem and I'd be honored to write music to go to it. And they said, well, they looked around at their other options knowing he was Jewish and they said, guess what? Jesus was Jewish too. You go to it. See what you can do. He came up with this beautiful melody. And the word of this song, it just began to spread like wildfire through France. Uh, But uh, then something happened. Uh, Well, um, Placide Capot, he, you know, he had his issues and those didn't go away after he uh, wrote the poem. And, And he ended up leaving the church And it was found out that the composer was Jewish and the church authorities at that time, they didn't like that. So they put out word that they called this song debased and degrading and not fit to be sung in church. And they tried to get the churches to stop it, but there was a problem. It had already hopped the ocean. And it was heard, it was known at the time by its French name name as the Cantique de Noël, the Canticle of Christmas. And a man named John Sullivan Dwight, who was a Unitarian pastor in the United States, heard about it. Now, John Sullivan Dwight had a big problem. 
he was a pastor and he didn't like to preach. That's going to go bode poorly for your job fulfillment and your job performance if you pick that career and you don't like to preach. But he wanted to do something special for his church for Christmas that didn't involve him preaching. And he said, what can I do? And he said, I will translate the Cantique de Noel into English for my church. And he did it. And they sung it. And this was in the 1850s in the northern United States when uh, many people were preparing to give their lives and the lives of their sons to abolish slavery in the coming civil war. And there was a line in that that caught on in the northern churches and spread like wildfire. Do you know what it is? I bet you do. For the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. And it inspired many people in the abolitionist movement uh, because of those words. Well, uh, it continued to spread and to spread. And indeed, this song that was called Debased and Degrading, this song that was written by three people who honestly, um, two of them wouldn't want to be members of our church. And the third, the Unitarian pastor, we wouldn't allow him to be. He doesn't believe in the Trinity. He believes in, in, in one God and the way he works out God and Jesus is very different from the way we work out God and Jesus. But God said, you know what? The church can't figure out how to fit everybody together, but I can. And these three oddballs, I can use them. And I can use them to tell the story and they will tell it in such a way that it cannot be stopped and it cannot be contained. Early 1900s. They were developing this new radical information technology called radio. And uh, they were beginning to learn to broadcast and receive radio. And they were getting to the point where they could do it well enough, not just to send a series of beeps, but to send actual voices with their new microphone technology. And so they decided to try and broadcast a voice for the first time. And primarily the groups with the large enough antennas to pick up the early radio waves uh, were ships at sea. So in the early 1900s, the first human voice appeared on the radio and the sailors heard it clearly. And what they heard for the very first time, the first words broadcast over radio in human history was Luke chapter 2 being read. And then the man who was reading it was an engineer well, he put down his Bible and he picked up his violin and he played, Oh, Holy Night. It could not be contained. And look at the people God used to make that happen. And think about what God might want to do through you to share the light of Christ who has come to us. Because you see, what makes it Christmas isn't that you are looking for Jesus. It's that King Jesus is looking for you. That's what actually makes it Christmas. It's not that you have the right feelings in your heart. It's not that you went through the right traditions, that you experienced the right emotions. Those are all good and wonderful things. And I plan on experiencing a lot of them. I love that emotion I get every time I see the sweet potato casserole. It just, it just warms my heart. But that doesn't make it Christmas. It doesn't even make it Christmas that I come to church and worship, that I read my Bible and pray. None of that makes it Christmas. What makes it Christmas is that Jesus came to us. That Jesus came to earth, that Jesus came in a manger, and that he is looking for us. And when the king is searching for you, the king will send all his resources to find you. He will send ridiculous resources to find you. He will send out his spies, he will send out his scouts, he will send out his army. 
and in amazing circumstances, he will even send himself. If this was a movie, it would be ridiculous and it would be unrealistic. You've seen those awful action movies, right? Like they're about to go on this critical military mission and suddenly the director of the CIA says, you know what, I'm getting in the chopper, I'm coming too. Or the president of the United States says, you know what, I was a military pilot, let me in the plane, I'll fly, I'll fight. That's crazy. You don't let your president on the front lines. You put your generals and your captains and your leaders safely away because they're so critical. You would never do that except if you're Jesus. Because Jesus sent his army. He sent his army of angels. He sent his commander-in-chief Gabriel. But then he sent himself And instead of being ridiculous and unrealistic, it's miraculous and divine because he came himself to find us. And here's the the thing I want you to know is that here's what makes him so different than any other king. An earthly king is an ordinary man who is bestowed with extraordinary privilege and power over society but has no authority over the human soul. Jesus is an extraordinary man who gave up all his privilege and power in order that he might have authority over the human soul, in order that he might come and walk among us and know all that we experience and know every joy and every sorrow, know more pain than we've known and know more joy, know the struggle, the confusion, the difficulties, know what friendship is, know what loss is, and that therefore he might have authority because he's walked there. And you know, until you've been there, you, you don't know. It's like that in, in, in anything. Until you've been in a certain profession, you don't know what it's like to, to do that. Until, until you've been a parent, you don't know what, what it's like to, to raise children of, of your own. Uh, until you've played on a, in a particular sport on a particular team, you don't know what it's like to do that. But once you know, there's an authority that comes with knowing. I was at a much smaller church than this a few years back. And it was Christmas Eve. And at that church for 40 some years, the same soprano had sung Silent Night. The same one. And she was getting into her 70s. And it was time to pass the mantle. But at that church, we didn't have 10 or 20 folks like at this church who could sing that song. We had one. And then there was a lady who came back to town. She'd grown up in the youth choir. She went away to college. She moved back to town after she graduated and she came back. And it was the first year the mantle was being passed down. And this young lady in her mid-twenties, she was going to be the one to sing that song that for a lot of people, that made it Christmas. And you know, Oh Holy Night is kind of like the national anthem. Like you don't really know if the national anthem is good until the end, right? Until the land of the free. That's when you're like, oh yeah, or oh, okay. Uh, Well, you get to those high difficult notes at the end of a holy night. And this young lady, she went for the first note. And when she hit it, you saw her predecessor sitting behind her, just close her eyes and smile. And everybody knew it was okay. Okay. Because she knew she had it. 
That woman was the only other who knew what it was like to be on that stage, in that community, in that moment, with that responsibility. And she knew this girl's got it. We're fine. We're, we're good. She had authority. And I don't know if it was the note. I think it was when people saw the matriarch smile that we knew everything's all right. Everything's good. She had authority. Jesus has that authority. He knows where you've been and he wants to be a part of where you're going. And here's the only real question I want to ask you tonight is that when he finds you, and he will find you, he might find you ignoring him. He might find you seeking to follow him. He might find you indifferent to him. He might find you running from him, but he will find you. When he finds you, will the unlikely king find a welcoming manger for his throne in your heart? When we come to take communion we, on Christmas Eve, we often talk about how we make our hands a manger and the bread, the body of the Christ child is placed in our hands. Well, what will he find in your heart? Because see, all he needs is a manger in your heart to make it his throne. He doesn't need um, an elaborate, ornate, golden heart, uh, golden throne in your heart. Uh, not many of us have a heart that pure. But if you will give him the manger in your heart, if you will give him the feeding trough of your heart, if you will give him the wooden manger uh, that is bruised and tattered and scraped, that has dings and dents, uh, that uh, has dirt uh, and that has been used and abused, that has loved and that has lost, that has struggled, that has triumphed, that has carried on when it didn't know how to carry on. If you'll give him that heart, if you'll give him that manger as your throne, I assure you he will take it. And I assure you that he will invite you to experience a love that never ends. Now, I can't tell you if you do that, that life will be easy. I can't tell you that everybody will get along at your Christmas celebrations. I can't tell you that suddenly your future path will be clear. And I can't tell you that your bank account will go in the right direction. And anybody who says that these words in this book tell you, guarantee any of those things, they didn't read it very well. But I can tell you this, I can tell you this from these words in this book and I can tell you this from how for the years of my life these words have been written in this heart and from what I've seen in your hearts. I can tell you that if you will do that, if you will make your heart a manger fit to be his throne and welcome him in, that you will experience a love like there is not anywhere else in this universe. That you will be able to walk through life with a confidence that you are never alone. You are never abandoned. You are never forsaken in this life and the next. You are never without hope because the one who is hope, the one who is peace, the one who is joy, and the one who is love walks beside you. And you will be someone whose life becomes a part of the greatest story ever. The greatest story ever lived, the greatest story ever written, the greatest story ever told. Do you have that opportunity as we come and take communion today? In many ways, we often think about going to the Christmas dinner table. Well, this is Christ's Christmas dinner table that we prepare ourselves to come to today. And as you come, I need you to know something. I need you to know 
that this is not Concord's table. This is not a United Methodist table. This is not my table. This is the unlikely king's table. And the unlikely king gets to decide who's invited to his unlikely feast. And he decided something for this table that was unlikely. He decided uh, that people could be included at this table who we wouldn't have chosen to include. He decided that you didn't have to be a member of this or any other church. He decided that you didn't have to be baptized or have gone through any other ritual. All you have to do to come to this table from the king's invitation is to make your heart a manger, to acknowledge your need of him to be your king and to forgive you, and your need of him to be your king and to guide you. That's all. And you're welcome here at this Christmas feast where we remember that on the night before he was to be betrayed, arrested, and crucified, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room as a guarantee of the good news of Christmas that he was with them, knowing that they would soon doubt it. He took bread. He gave thanks to his father. He broke the bread and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to his father. He said, drink from this, each of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance, of these God's mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer our lives as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. We ask that God would send his Holy Spirit and pour it out upon us gathered here and upon these gifts of bread and wine, that they might be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood, sharing his love. Until that day when he comes in final victory and we feast at his eternal heavenly banquet, May all honor and glory, all power and praise be God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now and forever. And it is now with this prayer that we join our prayer with the one that Christ taught his first followers, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.